Already the new men are dotted here and there all over the earth. Every now and then one meets them. Their voices and faces are different from ours. Stronger, quieter, happier, more radiant. They begin where most of us leave off. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 29. The Four Loves, Our Charities. Good morning, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where three friends, Andrew, David, and Matt, break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're talking about love, slowly and deliberately working our way through The Four Loves, the book where Lewis writes about affection, friendship, romance, and charity. This month, we finished the chapter on Christian charity, and so it's time for another episode. Back when we finished the chapter on family affection, I interviewed my mother. And when we finished the chapter on friendship, Matt interviewed his best friend. And when we finished the chapter on romance, Andrew interviewed his wife. But that sort of raised the question, who do you interview following a chapter about agape, Christian charity? I chatted with my co-hosts and we agreed that it would probably be appropriate to interview someone who has made a significant impact upon their respective spiritual journeys. And so first up, we have Matt. Well, friends, welcome. I am particularly excited for this episode because it's another one where we invite people who embody the different loves of the chapters in our lives. And this one was, well, maybe the most pressured chapter to figure out who would embody this because as as you listeners know, we have just finished up the agape chapter that is divine love and we've gone through affection friendship uh, arrow sexual love uh, marriage type love and now we're into agape and i was thinking to myself as david andrew and myself asked what would we want out of this like how would we identify a type of individual who embodies this love and i was thinking to myself who has shown me and demonstrated charity to myself in that supernatural charity like the, the point when you don't feel like you necessarily deserve it but you have still received a love and so as i was thinking through this there was one individual that came to mind and that is stephen lafada he is a very dear friend of mine from my time out in san diego so i moved out in san diego in 2013 right after college and we worked together for three or four years more or less so we were in the trenches together we were desk by desk together and uh, i just experienced so much love in the beginning of the relationship which i'll explain in a second but before i go on that tangent i want to welcome stephen to the podcast stephen welcome thank you matt thanks for having me really appreciate it it is an honor to be here and uh not 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 a small hurdle to be on the agape week um <laughs> <laughs> no, pre- no, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> oh, well, and, and Stephen, you may have even got a little bit of a taste of this. I know you don't know what I'm going to say, but you know, I had to give that two minute, three minute talk at your wedding. You had a few of us that were standing, give it, and I couldn't give it ultimately because I was I was attempting to give a two or three minute talk on just the way you authentically and genuinely love people. And I think I got, what, 
10 seconds in before I was waterworks and then another 20 <laughs> seconds before we realized I wasn't going to be finishing this two minute talk. <laughs> and, and so I, I effectively communicated uh, my love for you, but I did not actually communicate it in words. So you obviously know that you've had a big impact in my life and there's no, there's no explicitly one moment that I want to bring up, but I would say very early on in our relationship, I'm coming out of college and as all 22 year olders, bright eyes, ready to conquer the world and uh, with an ego as big as you can imagine, (laughs) we start, we start working together and you know, I have like that, that ego, I got that competitive side, I place a lot of my identity and worth and accomplishments and success. And I, as we were working together, it was amazing how often I just felt defensive in my weakness and competitive and um, not the type of person showing the most incredible amounts of love. And through all of that, you constantly chiseled away at my exteriors and continued to break down the walls of vulnerability that I tend to put up, as you probably know. (laughs) And it takes a lot to chisel those down and the defense mechanisms I've built over my life. And uh, I just, I constantly experienced it on a daily basis with you. And eventually developed into like one of the deepest friendships that I have and such a beautiful one. And that was like me experiencing it. But I also wanted to bring you on because I've witnessed it. Like you constantly have an empathy and a patience for with people, despite probably being, if I can say this, a little bit more like myself, particular um, high standards uh, that we hold and try to. And yet, you, despite those things that would tend to make it tougher, <laughs> you 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 exhibit a christ-like empathy compassion and mercy for people and so that's a little bit of a backstory of why i wanted to bring you on here i appreciate that and so what i wanted to begin with was let's just start briefly with with your spiritual journey your background you have a very strong faith and it takes a faith to be able to to transform your heart to be able to love in the way that you do you know what's your journey been like were there any ups and downs um and bring you to what your faith means to you today Sure, I, I appreciate that. Um, so, thank you. First of all, what what you guys are doing with this podcast is is really amazing, um, and especially an honor to C.S. Lewis. So, thank you for doing an amazing job with it. And uh, what what you have been able to do is is remarkable. So, well done on that. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. Born and raised in. San Diego, uh, spent some time on the East Coast and New York and the Midwest and Philadelphia and kind of all around and did some travels and study abroad as well. Um, and from a spiritual standpoint, I was raised in a uh, godly home. Um, and from a, a religious habit standpoint, went to Catholic Mass every Sunday with my dad. And then it wasn't until I was maybe 12, 12 years old, I think it was, in middle school, um, my mom really engaged me strongly with reading the Bible a lot more. Um, And then in high school, I had an interesting experience at a summer camp, a Christian summer camp um, with worship. And so, you know, how people 
Uh, and as C.S. Lewis talks about, the different rooms within the church approach God in different ways. Uh, I was I, I have an appreciation for people that are able to approach God, whether it be a more ritualistic standpoint, um, a emotional worship standpoint, uh, reading the word standpoint, uh, nature standpoint. So all these different methods of approaching God, I have an appreciation and understanding for. And then got heavily involved in Christian ministry in college with a nice diverse group of people that were a, a lot of fun where we chiseled each other, which I like that term, continue to chisel each other, uh, hung out with some people that were very culturally different than I. And that was a lot of fun of learning that, yes, you can be a Christian and have a very different political viewpoint and world viewpoint. And someone growing up in a um, primarily uh, Caucasian middle class uh, right on the political spectrum framework uh, can be difficult to believe that there are Christians that may not follow that same method. So that was that was very pivotal in my growing up. And then my absolute favorite class, even though at Duke University I majored in mathematics and economics, my favorite class and the most sought after class. In fact, so sought after that it was only reserved for second semester seniors, and it was it was a, a lottery process to get into it and it was the only class that even the community local community tried to get into and, and sit in the back and listen and that was a c.s lewis class whoa and the professor was an incredible professor on c.s lewis and we read one to two books a week with him um and his his thoughts resonated with me in a lot of ways um from just everything that he accomplished and then his historical perspective during World War II and all that. So in a lot of ways, he resonated. So that's, I guess, a little bit about my background um, geographically, maybe culturally, uh, my spiritual walk. So I'm back in San Diego now attending a church and uh, uh, still uh, just a couple weeks ago, actually, I was just chatting with someone about... Um, uh, oh, we were talking about a science fiction book. Um, I enjoy reading post-apocalyptic sci-fi fiction, and it was with my dad. And uh, we talked about reconciling Christianity with aliens. Hmm. And I, so I even a couple weeks ago talked about, well, have you read the uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy? And so <laughs> anyway, it always comes back to Lewis somehow. Well, and you, uh, I didn't mention that you and I went to the same uh, church for quite some time. So when I when I first moved out to San Diego, uh, you invited me along, and it was so beautiful to see. You, know, you mentioned worship in that community. Uh, C three has such an incredible worship community, and it was so mm-hmm. beautiful to be there and to the vulnerability. I remember it. You know, going back to what I mentioned at the beginning, and me not liking vulnerability. You would you'd put your arms out in worship, and you would really bring your bodies into it. And it took me honestly a month, maybe two months to to slowly, you know, start with the hands, like hitch the movie, the drop right, right there, 90 degrees, keep them close. And then slowly start to be willing to open up a little bit more. I mean, it was. It is a uniquely culturally Western, maybe even Ang- uh, from, from English and Anglican and, and Puritan, but a, an interesting Western culturalism that we have in how we approach church uh, and, and different cultures approach in different ways. And so it is fun to see when you go to Latin America or even some yes. um, countries in Africa um, that uh, approach things even more physically uh-huh. uh, and and more with with their bodies and heck even even other faiths you know you'll see 
uh, Jewish people at the Wailing Wall um, moving their bodies. And so I know some people might, the, the, the initial thought might be, well, I don't need to physically move. Well, no, you don't. There's definitely cultural elements to it, but being open to that. And I think this is an, uh, uh-huh. an interesting segue to the agape love. I have some thoughts as you ask me to think through some things, um, seg- segging, if that's a verb, segueing into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, some people approaching God in that way, not being, not being judgmental or holier than thou about that. Let's do it. Let's seg. Let's seggy our way into that. <laughs> let's, I've done segged. <laughs> Past part there's there's a whole joke on the there's a whole joke on the podcast because I make up words. Oh yes, and and you know that I make up expressions too. I think you're the one that classified. So so listener Stephen was the first one that really pointed out my inability to. Well, I have to tell this story now. When we were working together, I said you can't you can't fit a square pig into a round hole. And Stephen looks at me very very calmly with a very serious face. Uh, would you mind uh, drawing for me a square pig? <laughs> I remember <laughs> so being so confused pig. because yeah, I'm like so confused. And then uh, then later we we realized I used to say nip it in the butt, not bud. And I was like, oh man, a lot of nipped butts around Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and so on the podcast, they've learned that I make up words, and the way I get out of it is Tolkien invented languages. So I just say I'm like Tolkien, go, and I'm inventing my own language. <laughs> <laughs> Delvin, ignore it. Yes, exactly right. So let's seg our way into the next part here, the agape. Um, yeah, so I'll let you, you said you had a few thoughts, but rather than um, pigeonholing into a question itself, which might not lead in, I'll just let you lead into some of your thoughts on agape love. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, Christ keeps bringing things into a simpler simpler framework. I think we tend to overcomplicate, even when all the laws were summed up into two. Mm-hmm. Christ is always simplifying things. And for me, um, something that was that is pivotal and that I, I keep thinking about is actually something I saw on, uh, I don't know if listeners ever saw the show, So You Think You Can Dance, um, or of course, American Idol. But there's a, a season I, I watched and I loved, and there's often where the the contestants join up in groups and they have to make a dance together to compete and they have to interact well together and those teams that behave and interact well together and don't get into fights always do better than the teams that don't but there's one contestant during a fight that uh, she strongly said something that i still use to this day almost once a week thinking about it and saying and so for me this is the simplicity and it's you do you you do you and when, when Christ talks about um, don't judge others lest you be judged, in a lot of ways in, it, in our interactions with people, we, we don't just do ourselves. We feel like we're either higher than or lower than someone next to us. Someone cuts us off on the street. We're able to jump into their heart and realize that they, with full knowledge and premeditated intent, waited for me to get on the freeway. Once they saw me on the freeway, they said goodbye to their family. They zipped in their car and they jumped in just to cut me off. (laughs) That's how it feels. (laughs) That's how it feels. And in that moment, we're mad and we honk. And whether or not for safety reasons, you should honk. That's beside the point that the content is within the heart. And it's the idea of in that moment, we believe that we know everything going on in their lives 
We know without a shadow of a doubt that there are no excuses and that we are the ones in that moment that are the arbiter and we're going to judge them and we're going to be angry at them. And then the other way around when you're you're less than. So you look at someone and they're more successful in certain ways that you perceive or there, there's some jealousy or there's, oh, I, I can't measure up. Maybe I shouldn't say something. It's, it's this feeling or this concept that everything that Christ has put into you is not enough. And so I feel like Christ in saying, just leave it to, in, in so many ways, judge not lest you be judged and take this, the plank out of your eye before the speck in the other person's eyes. Um, focusing on ourselves and giving people, extending that grace that everyone is a work in progress and everyone is a jar of clay being made really, really helps that mindset and that interaction. For me, that's a that's a foundational framework of any interaction. Mm. Well, first, that's an incredible framework. And I have a follow-up question to, to dive a little bit deeper into that. But I wanted to first share, it reminds me a lot of, have you seen the movie or read the book, The Shack? Yeah. So remember that scene when he's about, he's told to like judge his father and the Holy Spirit is is showing him during the waterfall. And he sees this little boy being beat and abused. And he finds out that's his father being beat by his father. Mm-hmm. And and then he also makes the decision of with your children, like who would you choose to, to, to sacrifice or something? I don't remember exactly what it was. But the point is like we can't – we don't have the ability to play God. We don't know all mm-hmm. the circumstances. We don't uh, know what happened in someone else's story that hurt them, the wounds that they're bringing to an encounter. And that, that – you, you're – what you just shared reminded me a lot of that scene at the waterfall. And I will never forget that scene. It's probably the most transformational scene in that movie for me. And there's a nuance uh, because a lot of people hear this and think, great, I have to be, uh, I have to be a carpet that people tread on. Like I'm not, I'm never allowed to have boundaries. I'm never allowed to be respected. Does this mean that that person that cut me off was allowed and should have cut me off? Well, no, but the communication method and what goes on in your heart is what's different. And so someone saying something during, you're having a morning meeting with a colleague or a friend and they cut you off, they say something um, and you move on with your day and you're angry about it, you're annoyed about it. Well, again, let's, let's not assume that the past week they've been talking to their spouse and planning to cut you off in the conversation this particular morning. Let's say that something else may have been going on. Maybe they didn't even hear you on the microphone speaking. Let's give, let's give a benefit of the doubt and then come back and you can still clearly communicate. Hey, it, it hurt me when ABC happened. How can we improve communication so it doesn't happen again? So there's still a, a reconciliation and a growth that can happen, but you're coming at it from a perspective of um, not not knowing more than or less than, but having a peer-to-peer communication on a way to improve both of your lives moving forward. Have you ever seen David Foster Wallace, the the talk, This Is Water? No. Oh, I'm going to send it to you after this. I don't want to take up any more time uh, from our time going down that path, but it describes very much what you have just described of understanding that you are not the center of the universe and other people have stories. And so I'll send you that. You'll appreciate it. Um, the question I want to ask to, to, to dive slightly deeper into this is I, that framework's incredible. And I, I, 
um, fully agree. And it's just so powerful to have that. My next question would be, what, what have you done to help? You know, there's, there's the intellectual understanding of that. And then as someone who's a little more impulsive, like myself, <laughs> there's the in the moment. <laughs> and so I can very much personally have that framework when I have a chance to breathe. So let's say I get an email or something and I get a little frustrated and then I take a step back and I do a lot of what you say. And it really is helpful and empathize and put myself in their shoes and understand there wasn't malicious intent. But in the moments, you know, the, 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 as you've experienced from me probably plenty of times, I have a natural knee-jerk response and it's usually not quite as charitable as what you described. And so I'm just curious, have you... What are some practices or some things that you've done in your life that helped soften you to, to make this more second nature what you've described? Because I'd imagine I'm not the only person that doesn't have this second nature despite desiring it. Yeah, I'd say two things. One, um, realize it in ourselves first. So the concept that mm. we have, God looks at us and gives us this grace knowing even before we're about to do something that doesn't measure up, isn't optimal, isn't Christ-like, and we are still forgiven. And a lot of that is in our heart and mindset. You know, if we, at the end of the day, we come to God and we say, ah, darn it, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that, 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 darn it, I wasn't right, and I'm sorry, I feel bad about that, but you know what, it's okay, I'm going to grow from it, and mm. I, I you, you have that connection with God where he says that the Holy Spirit convicts, totally get it together we're moving forward it's not like god gives you the cold shoulder he extends that grace to you in that particular moment and the more that you're aware of it in yourself you actually start to employ that to others so there are times uh, have have you ever cut someone off i keep using the driving analogy i don't know why maybe because there's a lot of assumptions and confrontations in driving you in mm-hmm. the cars are you humanize the cars and you think that this big truck is a boss and a big big jerk and this little car is a little snooty car i don't know but maybe we humanize vehicles but when you do something and you think oh geez i didn't i didn't even think of that or i didn't see that you know you're not you're not suddenly thrown into hell because you made a mistake and so the more that with ourselves, we can see that and appreciate that. And then we see when other people are in similar situations, we are able to recall the grace that and forgiveness that we've received. And then the second thing I think is uh, practice of understanding our own emotions and our own thoughts. And frankly, something that's helped me with this has been mindful meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a better understanding of my own emotions, where I feel it, how it feels, when it comes up, um, being aware of my emotions, balancing them, being curious about them. And then it has slowed down my, I call it my amygdala clamp. So our, our emotional fight or flight center of the brain and everything passing through the the brainstem in your amygdala and does not get to your prefrontal cortex if it clamps down and you get angry and you have the fight or flight. So through understanding your own emotions and practicing techniques with that, it's been way easier to not allow the amygdala to clamp so much. But frankly, it's just giving yourself grace and practicing. And it's okay to mess up. I mean, going to a sports analogy, the only way you get better at three-pointers, because it is NCAA tournament time, is uh, to take three-pointers. 
So you're going to, and you're going to miss a lot before you make any, and it, it's okay. So I think giving yourself grace through the process and understanding we're all growing. And then finally, as you're growing, not to think that you, of course, are better than anyone because you have grown in this. Mm, <laughs> like, oh, they haven't, they obviously haven't grown in their ability to give grace and love. And so I am therefore better in them at that. That's not okay to think. I, I love I love that your answer was so Lewisian. It's brilliant. So Lewis with forgiveness, he, he gives us for a lot of different answers, like this, this general concept that you followed really beautifully. But forgiveness is the one I remember the most. He, his advice to, to get to the point of like supernatural forgiveness is start small and start close to home. Like it's very practical. And sometimes we always assume that there needs to be like a non-practical answer. But I liked your 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 mindful meditation, working on the self-control, working small, and then building up. And sometimes it sounds like that's mechanical or robotic. And it's like, no, that's, that's, like, that's a very real part. And then, yes, combine it with grace from our Heavenly Father. But that doesn't mean it's just like we, we pray every day that we're all of a sudden going to um, mm-hmm. overcome these, these, these patterns of not loving people very well. Like, that, yes, grace will help and infuse it, but we also have the answer to our own prayers can sometimes be the tools that we know can help us overcome these bad behavioral patterns if we want to right. name it that. And so right. I love your answer there. So Lewisian. <laughs> Final question before we, we wrap this up is, is there anyone in your life that has, you know, you, you I was going to ask two part, like, is there anyone in your life that's shown you this divine grace yourself that's helped been transformational? And then the other was going to be, how have you experienced God's? But I think you sort of answered the second one already by in the evenings when you reflect on your day and you, you almost have that forgiveness and compassion and grace from God that it slowly is uh, transforming you on the inside. Uh, but was there any is there any person in your life for people, because I have a big belief, and I do want to quickly say this quote because I almost forgot it. We can't give something we haven't received. And so you're so good at giving divine grace, you've clearly received it, uh, both from our Heavenly Father directly and probably through other people. Yeah, um, I mean the one from I think I, I I've talked enough on well, maybe I haven't talked enough, but I've touched on the one from from God on a daily basis. But my my wife does an amazing job, and she's she is someone that I have seen that is able to quickly not dwell on issues and problems that arise. So when there's a disagreement and um, there's something stupid that I say, which happens often. Um, the, the ramifications and the, I guess the length of time that she dwells on it is so short that I am always amazed. And I always think, wow, I, I want to be able to do that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just remark on the amount of time that she's able to go from, ah, I'm mad. I'm annoyed too. Okay, great. What's what's happening next? That <laughs> like wow. Like it it doesn't even it doesn't even scar or or dwell. You don't dwell on that. And that's something that she does to me that I'm mm-hmm. always floored by. And I think about. I think, geez, if I want to get to the point where that point two seconds of annoyed to back. I guess I see that a lot in my two-year-old too, my two-year-old daughter at home. She, you know, kids quickly go from annoyed to happy, and they don't dwell on the past either. And it's truly remarkable that gift that they have. And there's some point at which we start to dwell 
And then we go into this negative spiral of, Mm -hmm. and it's literally, they are thoughts that affect our emotions. They're not things that are happening that then affect our thoughts necessarily, but they're thoughts that we dwell on and dwell on and dwell on. And then we give them power and then we give them spiritual power. And then they take on physical power over our bodies and our health and our friendships and Mm -hmm. our family. So she's someone that has demonstrated that to me. Mm. What a great answer. I didn't know who you were going to choose. That's fantastic. Well, maybe I'll get maybe I'll get some points too, you know. You can always <laughs> You're going to get always, brownie points. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will send this to her so it doesn't seem like you're strategically <laughs> sending this to her. I'll make sure it's coming from there me. We go, uh, there but we then go. she'll hear it. Is. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you, brother. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on, Stephen. This has been just a, a gift to be able to hear your experience. And again, I'm just so grateful for the love that you show me. And I love you very much. And I just appreciate the impact that you have had in my life, man. Well, thank you. And just you're, you're, you're managing this podcast, your growth, what you have meant to me in my life has been remarkable. And just even being a groomsman in my wedding and being there on that special day was so amazing to be able to have you. So thank you for what you have done as well. Mm, You are welcome. Well, thank you for joining Stephen and uh, yeah, have a great day, brother. And next we have Andrew. Well, I'm grateful to be here today with my dear friend, uh, Amber Saladin. We met years ago, 2006, I think. Yeah, uh, the first year I met Malcolm Geit and we, uh, we did some work together with C.S. Lewis Foundation. She and her family have been involved there for years. A marvelous musician and, and choir director, a great mom. Um, so uh, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So I'm Amber Saladin, and uh, in the Lewis world, I'm the Arts and Ministry Director at the C.S. Lewis Foundation. I'm also a worship leader at an Anglican church in Lower Manhattan, where my husband planted uh, about five, six years ago. So I'm married to an Anglican priest. I teach at a classical Christian school in Manhattan where my two sons go, so I am steeped in the world of the mind, uh, the world of the arts, and raising children in a fascinating and huge city. So I have lots of thoughts going through my head all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Manhattan is just the latest in many stops, right? Yes, we spent five years in London and seven in Vancouver. I'm sporting my Canada hoodie today in an attempt to um, go north. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listeners, I... Steve Elmore, the president of the C.S. Lewis Foundation, and I stayed with Amber and Jim in London for the 50th anniversary of Lewis's uh, death, where they placed a memorial stone yeah. in um, in uh, Westminster Abbey. And so, those were some Amber special and Jim days. were our lovely hosts. And yeah, I think I brought. Did I bring goldfish? I think yes, I brought goldfish and salsa for you. Goldfish crackers, yeah. which my son was obsessed with when he was four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she grew up in Southern California. Her mother uh, was the major domo, um, basically ran the C.S. Lewis Foundation, mm-hmm. and still a dear friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a delight to have Amber on to talk about the four loves. So I want to start. Um, there's in the audio recordings, um, but not, and listeners are familiar with this, uh, in the audio recordings, but not in the actual book. Um, so Lewis gave 
the lectures that became Four Loves in 1958. And that's the audio in Lewis's voice. Um, but he said that love is where we go out of ourselves towards another. And I've kind of latched onto that as a fundamental working definition of all of the loves mm. with those two components, mm -hmm. to go out of the self and towards the other. So that's kind of the working definition. What do you, what do you think about, of that? Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I think, you know, we, I teach middle schoolers right now. And, <laughs> that, and they never go out of themselves. No, <laughs> and some of that is appropriate um, uh, aging and maturing sorts of things. But we have had so much to think about recently with thinking about other people and how my life, my behavior, my choices affect other people. I, I don't know if you, I mean, we're of a similar age, grew up in the 80s and 90s, and there was just so much about me and I think there still is, There's, you know, but still so much talk about me, my choices, my preferences. And it is such a Christian thing to think about others. In fact, <laughs> I remember when I was pregnant the first time um, feeling so strange. You know, everyone tells you when you're pregnant that you're supposed to just eat what your body tells you because that's what the baby needs. And I remember thinking, this is so deeply unchristian. <laughs> I'm not supposed to just do what my body tells me. That's what gets me into trouble. You know, I'm supposed to make. So I went and talked to my pastor's wife about it. And she laughed and said, no, no, no. But if you do that, that's what you're doing for the baby. And of course, she was right. Um, hmm. So there is that sense of, of self-denial um, that as Christians, we, we think about, but perhaps a better way to think about it is not just self-denial, but, but a, a deep focus and a deep look at others. How can I serve others? Uh, how can I bless others? Uh, I have a sister-in-law who's just incredible at always thinking about, she knows actually a few sister-in-laws, they know exactly what everyone's favorite food is. They know what everyone's favorite, um, what their birthdays are, what their TV preferences are. They've got it all down and, in, and memorized. And I um, don't have that. I can remember my <laughs> niece and nephew's middle names and that's about it. <laughs> but that's always impressed me as a way of valuing the other person and preferring them above mm. ourselves. Mm. Yeah, a seminary colleague just posted on social media. Um, she's a, a diocesan colleague from Texas, from a different seminary, but she posted a picture of a coffee mug with her name on it. And she said, does your sister have a mug just for you with your name on it for when you come over to visit? And oh. I thought that was uh, such a great example. I want to dive into, we've done a, we've, so at this point in the season, we have gone through each of the chapters of the four loves. And we spent three weeks on each individual chapter mm -hmm. um, with some side episodes. And then at the end of each love, a couple of us will pick out somebody to talk about those loves um, with. And so, uh, but one of the things we haven't done enough, I think, uh, is talk about the charity chapter in Mere Christianity. Um, and they seem to dovetail so beautifully. Yes. So Lewis starts out saying, it is about love, charity, caritas. It is a state not of the feeling, but of the will. 
that state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. And, uh, and he goes into great detail about the, the role of feelings with that. Yes. There's something so important about deciding to love someone else. So uh, church seems to me, uh, church seems to me to be the place where people who have nothing in common naturally have everything in common in the, in the Lord. But that has to be a matter of the will sometimes, doesn't it? When I have nothing in common with the person sitting next to me and they may be irritate me and maybe some of their choices I don't value or maybe some of the ways um, or maybe I just don't understand their histories or traditions and yet I have to choose to love them to value them to learn about them because they're a person made in God's image and they may be a great saint in heaven and I don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, Lewis talks about that in uh, in Screwtape Letters, yes, right? Yes, of course, yes. You know, that, and uses, uses that same word, that, that great saint. And we talked on the show about how you know, people who come to a church are united by divine love, but they're, for the most part, they're only united by storgi, by affection. Mm-hmm. They happen to be in the demographic area where it makes it easy to get to your church. Mm-hmm. And this happens to be the denomination that perhaps they were raised in or that they have chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, as I launch into ministry later on this year, I'm going to, you know, see what I can do to try out not, you know, demographic groups, 20s and 30s, yes. right? But how about the people who like NASCAR? You, know, <laughs> you have a Bible study. Or the people who love, you know, Jane Austen. You guys have a Bible study, regardless of age or, or gender or whatever. And so... Um, but that matter of the will that you, uh, the, from the Lewis quote that you read, is such an important point when you're uh, raising children. I just had a long talk with my eight-year-old about that the other day. You know, a boy in his class he doesn't naturally get on with, and, and how do we decide to go ahead and love that person? Uh, because that's what the Lord asks us to, not because we get kudos from it or good feelings. Lewis was was so right to bring that up and to just uh, shine a light on those parts of our heart that might show our sin. Yeah. He says um, in mere Christianity, but whenever we do good to another self, just because it is a self made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desire ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least dislike it less. Uh, The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. And I think that was true of of Lewis, too. And Mm -hmm. for me, that feels like a formula, uh, a helpful formula to to kind of navigate our lives. It's like, okay, I don't like this person particularly well. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, those those little rubs only happen with um, with people at our work. They never happen with people that we live with. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we never have to use you know will love, divine love, um, choice love um, with with people that we uh, that we're married to or related to, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You've been married how many years now? Almost twenty two. Okay. 
Amazing. So what's that, how does that play out for you? I, I'm only five years in, so. And what a great five years it's been. <laughs> hey, I married up. Your you husband sure knows did. about that. <laughs> you sure did. <sighs> Marriages, all, all of these loves. Um, it is friendship. It is eros. It is agape. And it is charity. You know, um, the better friends you are with your spouse, uh, the, the more you have in common, the more you cultivate things that you have in common, uh, and the more you just decide. I mean, it's not like, you know, I still do have to wake up in the morning and decide, am I going to be married today? I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's, I don't think that every morning for people who are now worried about my marriage, <laughs> <laughs> but it is the yeah. will and it is, it is living out my commitments that helped me um, decide to go ahead and have a good attitude, decide to forgive when, even when forgiveness hasn't been asked for, to decide to, to prefer another before myself. So marriage is a good blessing, a great blessing, um, but mostly because it points us to the relationship between Christ and his church. And in our own marriages or the marriages that we see, we see all of God's loves played out. Hmm. Now that's just, that's so good. And it's so true. And I'm learning it along the way. And it, it, it feels like in some ways um, that charity is the, the hand in the glove, right? Hmm. That the other loves are the glove that we put on. But, um, and I was realizing that because we're human, because we're natural, it's natural to start with each of the natural loves. Mm-hmm. And it's when those loves run out of gas that charity kind of comes in. You know, I mean, your oldest is 12 and a few years, sorry to say this, he'll be of driving age. <laughs> oh, we live in Manhattan. He'll never drive. <laughs> he'll never drive. <laughs> yeah. you know, but he'll make stupid teenage mistakes. You'll yeah. get the calls at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. And yeah. It's not charity that gets us out of bed to, to help our kids when they have, you know, been idiots. It's, or it's not Storgi that does that. It's yep. charity yep. that strengthens Storgi. And yep. we talked a lot this season about that quote in Four Loves, where love ceases to be a demon when it ceases to be a god. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when the real god comes, the half-gods can take their proper place. Yes. Yes. And I think that that's, uh, how about in friendship? How has that worked for you over the years? Have you, how have you seen divine love kind of invading your friendships? In a very similar way to what happens in church and what happens in marriage. Some of my friendships are natural and easygoing. And my, some of my friendships are choice. Um, there, I had a colleague in London who I think we both recognized that we didn't have a lot in common. <laughs> and yet I saw her and I saw in myself a commitment to one another. And so we did grow in friendship and it was never easy. Um, but we did commit to each. I mean, we never said this out loud, you know, and she was English. So maybe that was why we never said it out loud. But <laughs> um, there, yes, was, David. <laughs> <laughs> there was that sense for which um, sometimes friendship is a choice and it's a good choice and you can learn in that choice. I think in New York, it's been really important for us. Um, and 
to, to cultivate friendships with people who are very different than us, different backgrounds, different accents, different roles and walks in life. And as we've been more and more connected to the different churches in New York, of which there are plenty of gospel churches in, in Manhattan and in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and Queens. Um, but not in Long Island. Oh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there are in Long Island and Staten Island too. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just messing with the boroughs this morning. <laughs> it's been it's been such a joy to see and to grow from Christians that we we haven't had much in common with. But again, those were decisions. Yeah, I think. And we talked about um, in Lewis. He talks about um, fantasy, intellect, and will. Mm-hmm. In um, in screw tape letters and the concentric circ- circles mm-hmm. and how fantasy is at the outside, intellect is next and will is at the center, mm-hmm. and it's only once the will is operative that anything good begins to happen, mm-hmm. and then he talks about an action repeated becoming a habit and a habit repeated becoming a virtue, but it all starts with that kind of act of the will. I mean, I think that Lewis himself had difficult relationships. Yes. Um, that he had to practice charity for. I mean, I think of Mrs. Moore, certainly, but then also Warney, you know, fishing him out of pubs and things. And and any two people who've lived together for a while know how to rub each other the wrong way. Yes. And um, I think that's when charity kind of has to, has to take over. Absolutely. It's like what Augustine says about ordering our loves. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking a lot about this this year at school because I teach at a classical Christian school, and this has been our. Yeah, so say a little bit more about Augustine. Yeah. Yes, this has been our theme for the year. This is Augustine in on Christian doctrine, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things that is to say in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved, or have a greater love for what should be loved less, or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more, or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. So I do need to love my husband more than I love coffee. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that, that, that is a, that's an easy one. But what about my love for uh, Netflix or social media. What what about my love for um, uh, exercise? I don't love exercise, <laughs> but I've had I've had to <laughs> cultivate a love for exercise. How do I order my loves in such a way that those are then becoming habits, which then become virtues? And so I am not, which is what you just said, right? So I am I I am trying to build into myself affection for the things which should be loved the most Mm -hmm. and this is i don't remember discussing this as children in the church Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well and that's the genius point of lewis is you know for me in terms of relationships so don't worry about how you feel about it just do it yes just act loving towards somebody and the feelings you know begin to show up and of course that's that's the um let's see is it mere christianity uh, I think it's the end of one of those chapters. Let's see. Mm-hmm. But the great thing to remember, end of charity chapter in mere Christianity, but the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. 
It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of all those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Which is, of course, that was great. You know, you hit a big organ chord after that. But then as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, that's a model for how we should love in our earthly relationships. Though their feelings for us come and go, though our feelings for them come and go, our Mm -hmm. love should not. Mm -hmm. Our love should not be wearied by their sins, which they'll be. We shouldn't be wearied by their indifference, and we should be quite relentless in our determination that we will participate in any way we can for the curing of those sins at whatever cost to ourselves, right? Right. It's to say yes to you, no to me. I keep coming back to the to the prayer of St. John the Baptist, right? Mm, he mm-hmm. must increase. I must I decrease. must decrease. Yes. And I think that's kind of the key. And then I was doing a study a couple of weeks ago and I found that the word hate as as it is often used, one of the translations for hatred is certainly hatred, but the another is to esteem less. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus says you must hate your parents, He doesn't mean hate your parents. He means exactly what you're talking about. Put it in the right order. And there's Mm -hmm. his marvelous essay, Lewis's marvelous essay, First and Second Things, right? And this whole book is an exercise of here's Mm -hmm. what happens. Here's where the demonic opens the door when when we get things out of order. Yes. I've often thought that our, you know, for all the words in the English language, of which there are many, many, many words in English. Why do we only have one word? Why do we only have love, which is supposed to encompass so many things? I mean, agape, charity, storge, eros, those are helpful, Mm -hmm. but we need like 12 more. We need like, which uh, culture is it that has like 12 words for snow? It's it's the the Alaskan. It's the it's yeah. the yeah indigenous peoples of native yes yeah. from from the north that's so helpful we need yeah. that we need to bring back all of these different ways of relating to love well and i wonder if maybe a book on the four hates <laughs> would be helpful <laughs> we could start with augustine <laughs> what are we what are we really meant to hate the most <laughs> yeah yeah well and i think that we should order our hatreds you know we should. i mean and there are some things that are valid to hate, not in the way that our current culture, you know, looks at it and mm-hmm. and and does that. And I mean, that's going to be the cornerstone of my ministry is talking about how prevalent hatred is yeah. um, in our own hearts. Yes. Right? Um, even the the seeds of it. Mm-hmm. One must always try to check with within oneself: is what am I loving the most? And what am I preferring the most? This is not easy, friends. This is why <laughs> good friendships and living in Christian community can be so helpful. Because Andrew can always call me or text me and say, Amber, I, didn't, I don't think that was right. <laughs> mm. Feel free. <laughs> Feel free. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and, and, but in a loving and ordering sort of way. And being yeah. there with me to pick up the pieces whenever I fail. Sure. No, absolutely. And I do the same for you. You've been to a bunch of weddings, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. How how often have you heard First Corinthians thirteen? Oh, but um, <laughs> mostly mostly the weddings my husband does doesn't include that right. one. So, 
<laughs> I still love that passage, though. Um, and so as I was prepping for this, I, I was thinking, and I'm not sure where I'd come out on this, um, and listeners I'd be interested to hear on the Slack channel or anywhere else, is it harder to show unconditional love or is it harder to receive unconditional love? You know, when you were just describing habits turn to virtues, you know, choices turn to habits turn to virtues, I was just thinking that when we learn to order those in our lives, it helps us to understand God's love in a much deeper way. And so this is not super well thought out. I think I want to think about this more, but I, but I will say now that <laughs> when we order our love and we, when we learn to order our love over a lifetime, it will help us understand God's unconditional love. So if we are struggling to understand God's love, perhaps that's because our idea of love is emaciated and small. Hmm. 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 I wonder if maybe God puts the difficult people in our lives and then commands us to love them. I wonder if one of the reasons he does that is so that we can understand just what jerks we are yes. and <laughs> how much it costs him to love us. You know, he's very, unlo- <laughs> very unlovable at times. Oh. Um, Lewis says um, it's that love uh, that comes. Let's see. Oh. Well, while you're looking for that, I want to tell your listeners about 1 Corinthians 13, that if they want to listen to a great recording of that music set, they should find our friend Jack Redford's um, choral setting called Love Never Fails. Uh, and Jack, J-A-C. That's right. J-A-C. Yeah, marvelous. Yes. We were just uh, talking about Jack because uh, Malcolm Geit is on our campus today. Um, I Love got to Malcolm. pick him up from the airport. He's writing some poems for our bicentenary, and so I got to got to spend some time with him. Took him to the pub, where we have proper English beer. Thanks to me, that's a story Excellent. for another time. But Excellent. but uh, so we were talking about ordinary saints and and uh, and Jack. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. It is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. The state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. Yeah. Right. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to eat and drink and bathe and I'm going to, you know, prefer my own opinions and all the rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes naturally towards me. And so as I try to become like God, then I try to maybe see. And that's what a great irony. I love myself selfishly, but in some ways selflessly. It's selfless to eat and to breathe and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And so there's a fundamental kind of caring for myself that has to be constantly maintained, which if I don't do, you know, things are in trouble. And so maybe take that even that, yeah, I think that even the core of selfishness about our self-care, I'm not saying that all self-care is selfish right. or maybe let's say self-centeredness. Mm. And as I learn from the way that I care for myself rightly and naturally, then I can promote that into the way that God, understanding the way that God cares for me, and then the way that I can feebly, faltingly, falteringly uh, try to do with others. This um, is a lifetime thing. I think that's a challenge, right? Oh, to, such a to challenge. To get the self properly ordered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, oh, uh, who was it that said the first and the last sin to overcome is pride? 
it seems like one of those old guys. I'm not sure, but Lewis calls it the great sin. Yes. In your Christianity. Yeah, that when we first come to understand ourselves as sinners before a good God, we have to let go of our pride. And yet, that never leaves us because humility, you know, as soon as we're really um, uh, proud of ourselves for having <laughs> a, overcome lots of sin, <laughs> then we have to overcome yes. pride yet again. And uh, I've, I've often come back to that thought that uh, the more in touch with my own sin that I am, uh, that that's actually a sign that I'm growing in holiness, although I don't feel that way. So this is, not, you know, this is a lifetime of, it takes a lifetime to, to work this out. And I, I so look forward to heaven, which is why I loved how Lewis ended um, the charity chapter with lots of ideas about heaven. Um, what will we be in heaven? What will our relationship with Christ be in heaven? What will our relationship with others be in heaven? Because there I will finally be able to do what it is that I want to do. And my wants will be rightly ordered. Yes, because I yeah. won't be capable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't be capable of sin. So if I, it's like when Lucy at the end, she's like, when they get to Aslan's country, and she says, "Have you noticed we can't, you can't feel fear here?" I love it. Right? Yes. Try, and they all try to be afraid, and they can't. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's that thing where, but it, in some ways, it'll be magically scooped out of us like an ice cream scoop. But in some ways, the tower of our own selfishness and pride will have been loosened by our efforts to be, you know, humble. Uh, throughout. Yeah, and in fact, the chapter right before charity is mm -hmm. the chapter on pride. And I mm -hmm. oppose pride and charity. I think mm -hmm. the opposite of love is self. Mm -hmm. um, so, and we need to, we do need to finish, finish up, but uh, this wonderful last paragraph before the charity chapter in mere Christianity. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud mm -hmm. and a biggish step too. <laughs> At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. <laughs> so I know that I'm conceited, so that must mean that I'm quite humble. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, I don't think the reverse is true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but it's a start anyway. It is well, a start. Uh, we could go on for an hour um, and it's always a delight to spend some time with you. You're racing off to some things. I'm racing off to some things. Um, in the background, I've got a bottle of scotch that Malcolm brought for me, and we're going to have pipes oh. and scotch later, but I'm just drinking water this morning. Oh. Yes, and we'll raise a dram in your direction. So. Please do. Please do. Well, listeners, we just encourage you to grow in your loves, to be aware of your hatreds, the way that we esteem each other less than we should. Um, give yourself a break because that's what the cross is about. It's the ultimate letting you off of the hook to realize that we stumble in these ways. And maybe uh, because of the time that my dear friend, who I love uh, and I have spent here, that she and I and hopefully the rest of you can go through our days loving those uh, that, that come our way. So. Well, thanks uh, again, and safe travels to you, and the listeners will turn it back to David now. That's the last call bell here at the Mitre Pub. We hope you've enjoyed hearing a little bit more about the spiritual journeys of Matt and Andrew and the people who made all the difference. 
We'd like to thank them for coming on the show and you for listening, as well as our Patreon supporters and particularly our top tier supporters. Thomas, Deborah, Anonymous, Bill and Joanna, Snort, Bud, Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt, Kelly, Chris, John, James, Kate, Peter, David and Rowdy. In the next episode, we'll be having a retrospective of the four loves. So please join us next time when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.